In nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, this is Timothy Flanders with the Meaning of Catholic. This is the Terror of Demons Morning Show, reclaiming traditional Catholic masculinity. I'm joined, as always, by co-host Kennedy Hall. How you doing, brother? Wonderful. Wonderful. Enjoying the snowy Canadian weather around Christmas time. Yeah, when, when did y'all's uh, snow fall? We had tons on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. Oh, oh magical. It was uh, like, I don't know half a foot Christmas Eve and like another half a foot to a foot Christmas day. So the whole place was like a marshmallow. What's that old song? Marshmallow land in the winter or something. Marshmallow world outside. It was quite fluffy and white. So we went tobogganing on boxing day and all that. So it was pretty, uh, yeah, pretty stereotypical Canadian weather. That's great. Tobogganing. Yeah. Tobogganing on boxing day. Yeah. So what what did you do for Christmas Day? Y'all are locked down. <laughs> what what did you guys end up doing? Well, so we actually um, our benevolent dictators allowed us to go to lockdown on the twenty sixth. Oh really? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so um, we had Christmas Eve mass. We went to midnight mass, which was, I honestly, that was a miracle. I didn't think we were going to get there. Um, about three weeks ago, well, some places didn't have it though. So um, Toronto, like uh, we have these colors, like these zones of Ontario are in different colors. Gray zone is like you're on basically lockdown. Red zone, you're close. Orange, I mean, it's all these colors. We were in orange. I have, there's no, anyway, we won't go into the coronavirus because we can, <laughs> oh my goodness, it drives me crazy. Nobody is sick around here. The hospital is completely empty. I've been in it, so I know. Anyway, but, um, so we were, our county is fine, but they decided, uh, Ontario is like, I've never been to New York. I mean, I've been to Buffalo, but I, I imagine how people in New York state, like there's like New York City and then everybody else. It's like a different, right. might as well be its own country. I mean, people in Syracuse are probably like, why do I always have to deal with those people in New York City, like with their politics and things? It's same for us in Ontario. So Toronto is the People's Republic of Toronto. And then the rest of us have to bow down. So anyway, we're on a lockdown because of Toronto. And um, so we got to midnight mass and I was, uh, but but Toronto did not. They were already locked down, a couple cities. So... I know our priests, like, there's chapels within an hour or two driving distance outside of Toronto. I think a lot of people tried to get to those. So, anyway, we had it. It was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. I, I Honestly, it was it was somber because um, it was like a it, we're at Mass, and obviously it's the beginning of the season. It's the beginning of the Christmas season for us. So there's a sort of, I guess... They're, they're a joy and an expectation of how things are just getting started. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of like the night before your execution. It's like your last meal. 
it's like we're gonna go to mass and it's gonna be wonderful and then i mean they say it's gonna be 28 days but they said it was gonna be two weeks last time so i i bet you we won't have mass for three months um in a in a real i mean we'll have you can have 10 person masses and our priests will still get us the sacraments um they do mu- they do as much as they possibly can and then we're in a much better situation than anyone who's dealing with your average diocesan situation however the restrictions are just, like the fines are so severe i mean there was a guy in windsor has like a protestant uh group or something and they've defied the orders and whatever but the thing is they send the cops the next day to not let you into your church you know it's not like uh, there's no property rights in canadian constitution so in the states you can you can just keep showing up they might keep fining you and then you can decide to fight those because they're unlawful but you you can't even get into your place like they'll literally seize it and the cops will be standing there um so people are trying and there will there are court dates coming eventually but it'll take months so anyway it's a whole mess so um basically the only solution would be if the bishops would just do something but they won't they're in the pocket of the government here so they won't if they all said we're staying open they'd be open or if all christian groups of some sort would just say we're all going to go to church tomorrow there would be too many for them but that would be something where you'd have to expect people to take a risk and things and a lot of people won't do that so anyway long story long we had a wonderful christmas mass we were able to have family gathering on Christmas because it wasn't the 26th. And then um, now we're in lockdown. But nobody's listening to it now this second time. I've just noticed in the neighborhood, like nobody is, nobody's doing it. They're over it. Mo- even normal people that kind of take coronavirus pretty seriously, they're just like, you know, we've been open for so long. I know who I'm seeing. They're just people are just kind of rationalizing that this is dumb. So. We'll see how long it lasts. So nobody's taking it seriously except for your bishops? Well, people are taking it seriously in like a public sense where like the stores are closed. You know, Walmart's open. Um, this is the funny thing. I can go into Walmart without a mask on because they don't enforce it because there's exemptions and they don't ask who has exemptions. But the bishops <clears throat> for the London Diocese which is like the major in southwestern Ontario, it, that diocese is all the way from, like goes to Windsor, which is near Detroit, all the way up to uh, uh, past where I live. But I mean, it's like a three-hour drive to, to either side of the diocese. That diocese has decided that come, well, there's no mass right now. They're, yeah. They're going to require people who want to go to mass without a mask on, they're going to require them to have proof from their doctor of exemption. That's not even the law. That's just their decision. Wow. And, um, but the thing is, um, I know some people who, you know, they go to a diocesan parish and they don't want to wear a mask and they haven't been. And up to this point, what they've been doing is they've been basically quarantining you off in a section on your own. So you sit up in the rafters with all the lepers 
um, which is so dumb. If you think about the logic of the mask, they probably want you to be around people who had the masks on because they were protected because they work, right? Um, <clears throat> but instead, they set you all together so you can you can just fog and waft your coronavirus spores onto each other with no mask on. <laughs> so um, one of my the friends, they went to the doctor and they asked, uh, they had an actual, I don't know, lung something or other. And the doctor said, there is no note. Like this is, we don't know what you're talking about. There's no coronavirus exemption mask note. What is the, <laughs> the, the point of the exemptions is like, it's up to the person because they have a health thing. Like you don't ask, that's the point. Because people have, some people have psychological reasons, right? Like they have PTSD or something and can't, you know, or some kids have um, sensory or disorders or something. The point is you don't ask for the, th the exemption. So it's very strange. So you can go okay. into Walmart without a mask on. Um, but across the street, uh, we have this massive big box store called Canadian Tire. It's like a hardware store. It's closed because they don't sell food. So Walmart, they sell everything Walmart sells, but they don't sell food. So they're closed. But Walmart's open because they have groceries. It's just so ridiculous. And then churches, 10-person mass, whatever. So living oh, in the right. twilight zone, living in the twilight zone. Oh, once again, yes. Our um, <laughs> shout out to everyone who's gone back into lockdown. I, 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 I was not kept track of the shifting uh, regulations in my own area. I, I'm blessed to be able to work at home, so I don't actually go out of my house very often. In fact, except to go to mass. So we were we were blessed to. We, my wife and I went. We took the kids actually to the 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 Christmas mass at dawn. There are for viewers. If you don't know, there's three different masses. There's particular pieces. I think I think it's just on Christmas and on. Well, it's actually Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. I believe are the only feasts that actually have distinctive masses, right. and they're multiple masses. And so Christmas has the mass of the angels, midnight mass, the mass of the shepherds, which is mass at dawn, and there's mass during the day, which is the mass of the kings. And it was very great. It was at 7 a.m. So it was really uh, dark out uh, mm -hmm. Christmas lights. It was it's a wonderful mass, just a low mass on Christmas Day. Very quiet. Um, my my kid, my kids were sleepy, so they were pretty quiet and well behaved. So it was a great it was a great uh, Christmas mass. I'd never been to that mass. So wonderful. Um, we have um, this week. We have, there's so many great feasts in the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about St. Stephen, but this week we have the, today is St. Thomas Beneket, and we'll yeah. talk about him, why he's important. He's awesome. And uh, we also have the uh, January 1st, which is three different things to my knowledge, which is the circumcision of the Lord, which is the first shedding of his precious blood. There's the holy name of Jesus as well, because it's the naming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's also a Marian feast, actually, yeah. in the in the office itself and in the collect of the feast. It's a Marian feast with celebrating Mary, who gave us the Lord. And uh, another, it's a holy day of obligation in America. I don't know if it's the same for y'all. I know that you're yeah, on lockdown, but yeah. Um, yes. So wonderful feast day. I wanted to mention St. Stephen because... St. Stephen is such a, a marvelous feast day, and I think it's one of the most important uh, things for us to keep in mind as Catholics who are Orthodox striving for the faith. The Collect for St. Stephen says this, Grant us, we beseech thee, O Lord, so to imitate what we revere, that we may learn to love even our enemies, 
For we celebrate the heavenly birthday of him who knew how to pray for his very persecutors to our Lord Jesus Christ, thy son. So St. Stephen perfectly imitates Christ as the first martyr imitating Christ because Christ, as, as you all know, was crucified and he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Right. And St. Stephen was stoned by the Jews and he said, lay not this sin to their charge. He forgave his enemies. I think this is one of the most important lessons in our day because there's so much uh, rancor on the internet. And especially when we talk about the Jews, in fact, we talk about the machinations. This is something that we've been covering elsewhere in this on this channel is talking about the machinations of Jews, whether that's in the early days or now. And I get a lot of comments where people are just kind of going off on the Jews and they're lacking this fundamental charity of forgiving our enemies. This is this is the distinctive feature of Christianity, which makes it very different than Mohammedanism, makes it very different than Judaism, rabbinic Judaism. I was just reading the article on the Jewish virtue of hate uh, of, of a rabbi in the in first things. He wrote an article called The Jewish Virtue of Hate and How We Are to Hate Our Enemies. This is this is wow. contrary to our Lord Jesus Christ. This is we are to love our enemies, pray for our persecutors. Wow. This is what makes our way different. This is what makes the cross different. And we consider St. John who says, He who loveth not knoweth not God, because God is charity. He who says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar. Yeah. And this is this is this is so important. And this is something that we lack so much, especially in the internet, where you can just you can just say whatever you want. Say whatever you want, no consequences. Well, the consequences are coming on judgment day. Because <laughs> every every our Lord says, every careless word will receive an answer on judgment day. And yeah. so you can you can talk all you want, but it, when you hate your brother, even your enemy, even the person who's persecuting you, even the Jews or Mohammedans or whoever, communists, Masons, all these evil people, we want to convert them all. We wish them good. And this is what St. Stephen teaches us because he dies. And we need to consider that and really take a look at that because this type of lack of charity is is just disgusting and, and it's and it's offensive to jesus christ and it, it blackens the name of jesus christ and what is what it does the the prophets say you uh the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles on kind of you and that's 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 on us that's shame on us because of our lack of charity and our lack of forgiving our enemies this is something that even the heathen will respect even they even the heathen even the marxists will respect this type of thing this is a Blessed Miguel Pro, I think of him. And there's so many different examples who who these saints are forgiving their enemies who kill them. Yeah. And this is the type of thing we need to we need to respond with charity against those who hate us. You know, and we're in a time where people a lot of people are hating us. Um, but this is the type of thing we need to man up, take up the cross, take up the cross of suffering, and love our enemies. So, Saint Stephen, any thoughts on that, Kennedy? Well, it is really remarkable that right after, um, like right after Christmas, you get into all these martyrs. Um, the most joyful Christmas really is. I mean, the anticipation for Christmas really is exciting. 
And when it comes, it's almost, uh, it's almost, it's weird. I was almost nervous for it this year in a sense, maybe because I knew we were going on lockdown, but it's been such a crazy year and Christmas is so joyful that it was almost like uh, waiting for a wedding day or something. It was pretty, it, the anticipation was, was almost too much to bear. So, but it's funny, you have this insane, unbelievable, joyful event, but then immediately you have sorrow. Um which I guess just shows you the paradox of what it means to be a Christian because, you know, Christ is born and it's the best thing ever. And then he has to flee because uh, Herod, you know, we have the Feast of the Holy Innocents and things. And I, that's, I guess, personified by the martyrs. So I just have put an article out in Fatima Center about how this is very providential for our times that right after Christmas, we have a series of feasts for various martyrs, St. Stephen and St. Thomas Becket, especially, who are persecuted for their faith um, and persevere in Christian charity, even unto death, which they have because of the incarnation of Christ. Um, so it is, uh, it is a paradoxical reality that Christmas is accompanied by the greatest joy, but at the same time, a willingness to die uh, and still contain charity in your heart for those who persecute you. And St. Thomas Beckett is an incredible, and St. Stephen and Thomas Beckett are incredible examples, especially Thomas Beckett, because, um, you know, when you read all accounts about him, he was sort of just, uh, he, he seemed like a man, like he always had his outward piety. You know, he was, he'd go to mass and things because that's just what you did in the 1200s in England. But they, there was no evidence that he was a holy man at all until he was ordained, and he was ordained quickly, like priest and bishop, within a day or two. And um, but the office changed him, and he went from being a man that was going to be most likely sort of a more of a political ally of the king, who was his friend, to someone who became a great herald of Christ the King and a champion of uh, Christian fortitude and and. Um, just really holy all of a sudden. So um, it is a remark. It, it, I guess it also shows like with St. Stephen. Um, uh, I don't know the timing on it. It's not obviously right after Christmas in the chronology of it, but, but there's something about the fact that the church is born, Christ is resurrected, and almost immediately you have a major persecution, um, which it just sort of shows the, the um, I guess, extravagance or, just how magnificent the grace of conversion is that you can go from not being a Christian because it's, well, at that time it's not even a thing, but then it's the, the, the grace of becoming a Christian changes you so profoundly that for one, the world hates you so much. That's one of the weird things about being a Christian is the world, you know, we realize this over Christmas with just various things. It's amazing. It's amazing how people hate Christians. Um, People don't realize that when people, it's hard for people who are not practicing Catholics to realize how much people viscerally hate you when you're a Catholic. It's weird. You know, it's, it's, it is diabolical. I mean, you, you know, you'd be talking to somebody and you can almost see their blood pressure rise when you, when you say the name of Jesus, it really is a strange thing. It's not, it's, it's more than political hatred. It's more than um, ideological hatred. It's something like, yeah, it's, it's diabolical. I mean, it's, it's the devil 
who unfortunately has his dominion over so many poor souls living in a state of mortal sin. And when, when true Christian things are said, or when you stick to certain Christian principles that go against the grain, people, they actually just hate you. It's, it's kind of pitiable to see. And, um, and our world is full of so much of that. I mean, what's, uh, why do people hate Donald Trump so much? He's obviously not a holy man, but I mean, it's because of the fact that Christians latch on. That's one of the main reasons Christians really latch on to him and they can't stand that. that, And it becomes this visceral thing that bubbles up inside of people. And you see that with St. Stephen, um, where they just hate him. I mean, you stone a man to death for preaching the fact that the prophecies have been fulfilled. That's insane. I mean, you've got the the, the Hebrews who've been waiting for this for 4,000 years. It finally happens. It doesn't happen the way they think it should happen. And they want to kill the man for it. It's just remarkable. How many? Think about this. How many divisions were there amongst the Jews at the time? The Sadducees, the Pharisees. Like we're talking, people don't really realize. The theological differences between these groups were astounding. I mean, it was like today. I mean, you might as well. It's like having a Jehovah's Witness versus a Catholic. They were all over the map, some of them not believing in the supernatural. I mean, these were not just little minor things. There were major differences in what they believed. But they still tolerated each other better than these Christians, than, than having these Christians around. So, and then with St. Thomas Beckett, we transition. Um, wow, what a, I wrote an article and I sent it to my priests. And um, what a better example. Wait, we couldn't ask for a better example than... Basically, maybe we can talk about him, but a bishop who gets into a row with the government <laughs> and says, uh, you know, the rights of Christ the King supersede the rights of the state. Uh, and this was not a time of apostasy. This was a time of pretty good Christian life in the great age of faith um, and dies while at church doing his religious duties because he will not leave his church. And uh, wow, I wish our bishops could actually be bishops like him today. Yeah, so St. Thomas Becket was opposing King Henry II, who was the King of England in the 1100s, who was imposing restrictions on the church, which threatened the liberty of the church to exercise her mission. And, and be free to preach the gospel. Uh, there were more technical things, more details, but um, he got into conflict. He refused to submit to the king mm-hmm. in very much a, a prefiguring of St. Uh, John Fisher yeah. later on in Henry VIII. Henry VIII was, his, his one of his very first acts was to suppress the cult of St. Thomas Becket. Yeah. Because, and this, this he took out, took his name out of the the Book of Common Prayer and everything. The, the Canterbury Tales, even though the, that uh, book itself has a bunch of nonsense in it, um, is all about pilgrims going to St. Thomas Becket's tomb. That, that's the context of that whole story. So it was a massive pilgrimage site in England, in medieval England. And St. Thomas Becket opposes Henry the Henry II, mm-hmm. and Henry II tries to put the full force of the state behind him to force him to concede the rights of the church. He refuses. He goes into exile. He enlists the support of the Pope. He finally is uh, confronted by the henchmen of the king. Here's the here's from the uh, office of Matins, where they the king, um, the knights come to Canterbury at, to St. Thomas, where he's about to begin Vespers. Yeah. 
And the, the story goes this, the clergy hastened to shut the doors on them against these knights who were about to kill St. Thomas, but Thomas opened them with the words, the church of God is not to be made an armed camp and I will willingly suffer death for the church of God. Then he said to the soldiers, I charge you in the name of God that you do not harm to my, do no harm to my people. Then he knelt down and committed his cathedral and himself to God, Blessed Mary, St. Denis, and the other patron saints of the cathedral. Then he offered his sacred head to the stroke of death, with that the same resolute manner with which he had resisted the laws of the wicked king. He died on December 29th in the year of our Lord, 1170. Afterwards, he became famed for many miracles and was numbered among the saints by Alexander III. He was canonized two years later, a very swift canonization owing to his holiness and, and miracles. <laughs> so certainly an example of a, a bishop resisting the intrigues of an impious king. Yeah. Definitely an example. Uh, I wanted to, I thought of the introit of the midnight mass actually that has the, it starts off with Psalm two, the Lord said to me, thou art my son to say, they have be, I begotten thee. And then it says, why have the Gentiles raged and the people's devised vain things? It's crazy. It's the beginning of midnight mass. It's such a powerful beginning because it, it witnesses to what you're saying. This, this birth in the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ is a threat to the what, powers that be. Yeah, and it's it is like it's such a dichotomy around Christmas time that it's always the hardest time of the year for so many people. <laughs> you know, I it's all you know people suicides are always higher on uh, Christmas time. And, um, you know, just like this year, this 2020, this godforsaken year, um, has been uh, just a sort of a shining example of the void of Christ the King and how the world just suffers and travail without Christ as head because uh, this, is the, this is the logical extent of what happens in a godless world is everybody loses their bloody mind. That's literally what's happened. It reminds me of... Um, Chesterton's Orthodoxy, his book, um, where he basically says the reason he became, became a Christian was because he was trying to be sane. He was looking how to be. And even Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, when he was having an interview with Bishop Robert Barron, who I'm obviously no fan of theologically, but he was having an interview and he said being Catholic is about as sane as it gets. And he said that just from a psychological perspective of the virtues and the way that the trajectory of understanding life. And he's like, you can't get more sane than that. It's just funny how that works. Um but it's interesting that Christmas is on the flip side for so many people. Uh, it's, it's like you can tell that people have an absence of, of Christian charity in their heart. And, um, uh, they, and they're celebrating a holiday that they... It's kind of like a... They're celebrating a holiday that's about Jesus Christ, but without Christ. And there's this gaping void that causes a, a sort of a depression. And you see that, and uh, the only way to cure that is to do it the right way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I wanted to, we're going to talk about uh, Exodus 90. And yeah. we also want to mention the 12 days of Christmas and, and family traditions, stuff like that. Exodus 90 starts January 4th. Is it January 4th this year? Yes. Wow. So... I just heard my four-year-old. I got to go check on my four-year-old. So, Kennedy, can you tell the audience about what is Exodus 90? Why should you do it? 
what goes into that. I'll be right back. Sure. <laughs> no problem. So Exodus 90 is a program. It's a few years old. It was devised to help men mortify, um, do penance, and uh, sort of take on traditional um, mortifications and penances that they usually that people usually don't. Now, the only uh, I've done it twice. I think it's good, but the program has grown immensely over the last few years, two two years or so, and. I will give a couple caveats for people that decide to do it. I've done it twice and I recommend doing it because here's the thing. Sometimes when I talk to some of my traditional, you know, traditionally leaning Catholics and some people will have objections and they'll say, well, why don't we just do the liturgical calendar? You know, if you follow the traditional liturgical calendar, there are tons of fasting days. Lent is supposed to be hard. Advent is supposed to be hard. Isn't that enough? It is enough, traditionally speaking. It is enough, traditionally speaking. However, I will say that um, because so many of us have discovered Catholicism in the truest sense, we've discovered all the traditions, um, you know, as adults, most of us are not raised in that. Uh, most of us that come to tradition just sort of find it along the way. There's a whole um, or sort of infrastructure of penance and mortification. There's a whole framework that isn't natural to us because we haven't grown up with it. So personally... Doing the Exodus 90 for me um, and for many men that I've talked to, it was huge because, well, um, it was a it was an attempt at, at sort of rebooting your ability to do penance because it is 90 days, which is a long time. I've done it twice. I don't ever want to do it again because it was good, but it was long. Um, but it was necessary to do a sort of prolonged, in my opinion, it was necessary to do a prolonged penance because it really did ingrain in me certain habits that I never had growing up because I never did them. So um, it starts January 4th. Now, I would say, though, uh, when I did it, um, the first time that I did the Exodus 90, the first time I did it, I had, it was just in a group of three. So if you're going to do the Exodus 90, one thing you have to be weary of is... Um, the, the men you do it with or the, the way that you do it will make a big difference in how good it is. So the first time that I did it, it was just in a small group, two really good friends, intimate thing. And I like that. I like the small group. I did it in a group of three. I realized the second time that I did it, I had, was asked to do it by a priest friend and I didn't want to say no. And it was like a group of 10, 12 guys. And to be honest, for me, that was just way too big. I didn't, I wouldn't want to do the big group in it again. I like the smaller group. Um, and then also, uh, if I can be honest, um, when I did it, uh, there is a reading plan. You go through, um, you do go through, uh, like Bible readings and things, and it's through the book of Exodus. And there's a whole reason for that because you're getting out of Egypt and it makes sense. Um, but uh, the readings I found were fine, but I was sort of reading, um, a traditional Bible commentary anyway. So I just kind of did my own readings. Um, so people can decide that the disciplines, you can see them on the screen there. Basically you're giving up most things that you find fun. Um, you, you know, no alcohol, no desserts. You don't eat between meals. Um, basically anything with sugar in it. Um, no video games. I don't play video games. That wasn't a problem. Basically you don't use screens for anything superfluous. So if you're at work, 
you know, you have to use a screen, uh, whatever, but you don't just kind of surf on social media. You have to give up social media. You start doing Wednesdays and Fridays of days of fasting, abstaining from meat. Um, and you eat only one full meal. It's sort of the, um, the sort of modern way of understanding how fasting works, like the little two small meals, whatever for us, when I did it, um, we did bread and water on Wednesdays, uh, and Fridays, except, uh, we would have, uh, I would have supper on Friday nights or whatever with the family. Um, so you can kind of decide how you want to do it. Uh, a lot of people decide to start intermittent fasting instead because it's sort of easier. So the point is the fasting. Um, and it's, it's a good program. Now, the only thing is, oh, the cold showers, the cold showers are cold. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they're actually kind of exhilarating. Like it's, it's, um, I'm not going to say I like them, but, but you do get used to them in a way. And listen, it's 90 days. So one of the, one of the, one of the, the risks with this program, if you go into it in a certain way is you're like, I'm going to basically, you know, Wim Hof, he's that guy who does the cold therapy breathing techniques. He's kind of like one of those extreme cold wilderness guys. He, you know, he'll like jump into like the, like the polar bear swims and then the cold water and things. <clears throat> uh, don't try to do that on your first day because you'll probably end up not burning out cause it's cold, but burning out in a sense. Um, if you have to have like a lukewarm, cool, shower to get in just do that i mean the point is that it's uncomfortable okay um, I, th when they first did the program a few years ago it said cool or lukewarm showers and i think people because we kind of it's kind of how we view the speed limit it says go 50 so you go 65 um i think that's why they changed it to cold because they realize if they just put, like do cold showers people will do cool showers <laughs> it's kind of people take their little liberties that they're okay with but you know if you uh, there were guys who I knew who would start the program and they'd have the shower on like full cold, like it's ice pellets coming out of the thing. And they're like, man, I couldn't even get in the shower. It's like, bro, the point is that it's supposed to be uncomfortable and you stink for one. So have a shower, but like just get in the shower when it's not hot and then just make it cold as you progress in your shower and you'll eventually get used to it. Um, I am surprised about starting January 4th this year because Christmas tide, even in the new calendar is supposed to go to January 12th. I thought so. They do have, um, in the uh, Exodus 90, they do say that solemn feast days, you can have your your cheat day. Um, for cheat days, you're only supposed to have like one thing. So it's not as if, you know, you go and watch a ton of movies, drink a bunch of beer, and have some ice cream and cake all at the same day. You sort of pick one thing. So you have, you know, dessert that day, or you have, uh, you watch a movie or something, you pick one thing. If you're married, <clears throat> you have to make sure that your wife is on board and you have to, and it even says in the Exodus protocol, it says like the married man, like the Exodus man and his bride, um, you don't, it's not your wife's mortification, it's yours. So the first time I did it, my wife was all excited about it and it was a whole thing and whatever. Um, and so I watched like no TV basically the whole time. But then the second time I did it, um, we had this family tradition of watching like some old TV shows like at night before bed, like we'd watch Little House on the Prairie and things like, and it was a thing for our kids and whatever. 
to be honest, halftime, I fell asleep anyway. But I was like, well, I'm not going to tell my kids who are just too little to understand that we're going to stop doing something. We're just going to, you know. So it was just like you had to make these little sacrifices um, for for family time. Um, but you can do that once you've got control of all your other vices. That's the beautiful part about it is that it's not as if you're staring at your YouTube like from dawn till dusk watching videos of, you know, football highlights. And then you're going to go watch something with your family. You're you know, your mind is clear. You've been doing the mortifications. And then when you have these little moments of uh, re reprieve, but for family purposes, you feel good about it. I remember the first time I did it um, when I was teaching a, a class. I can't. I think we watched that movie, Remember the Titans. Like I, I was showing it in a class for some reason. And I hadn't watched a movie in like a month and a half or two months. And the movie was on and I was doing some marking, but I looked at the, the projector and stuff and I was like, wow, movies are amazing. <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe how amazing a movie was. A friend of my buddy too that I was doing it with, um, he was, you know, you don't, you're, not supposed, you're only supposed to listen to music that sort of lifts your soul to God. So whatever that is, I mean, it doesn't have to be just chant or something classical. Some people like listening to praise and worship. That's up to them, I guess. Um, but he was driving around and like his baby was crying so he's like i'm just going to turn on the radio and it was just some stupid pop station or something it was just some noise for the baby and but he told us he's like wow music is amazing like he <laughs> wasn't listening to much music at all and just this dumb pop song but it had like a melody to it so you really do start to appreciate things so i think it's great um some of my uh i said like i was saying when you were gone some of my uh particularly rad tratted friends will say, why don't you just do the liturgical calendar? I get that. But because um, the liturgical calendar does have tons of fasting in it and, and stuff. But most of us have never really done that. And the nice thing about this program is that it's like a boot camp. You do it and you learn. And I did that. I don't, I don't think I'll ever do the program again because I've already done it twice. But I will tell you, though, that the, particularly for me, the fasting and the abstaining from, from media um, doing it for those three months really reprogrammed me. So it's like when I want to, so, so for Advent, I took on fasting and I did it. There's no way I would have been able to fast the way that I did this. I did the Martin Miss Advent, like the St. Martin's Lent there or Advent. There's no way I would have been able to do that so well, in my opinion, for me, if I hadn't have done this extensive thing over the last couple of years, because it was, it was like riding a bike, getting back into it. Um, so I, anyway, I think that, uh, I think it's really good, but, um, if you follow the traditional calendar, cause this one uses the new calendar, I think for the most part, but if you follow the traditional calendar, there's more feast days. So I did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, Septuagesima this year is January 31st. Mm -hmm. So Septuagesima is the third Sunday before Ash Wednesday. Yeah. So this is the pre-Lent. So Lent is already coming, my friends. I know it's right, always right there. So, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I think that I've never done this program myself. I'm just, I'm just very, uh, kind of, very much a loner in terms of spiritual practice. I don't really like doing group stuff, but I think it's very good. It, it seems to be very good, if you, especially if you if you are benefited from a group helping helping hold you accountable to your resolutions. And I think I, I, I've mentioned this channel before. I have, I have sort of that group with one other man. I have, I have one other man that I talk to once a week. And COVID's really broken that up a lot, but um, we have a bond of accountability. So we are striving for 
being men of God for our children, for our wives and, and accountability. So I think, I think accountability is very important mm-hmm. and it, especially Exodus 90 can be very impactful for men mm-hmm. to be held accountable to do some basic things, which I mean, essentially what this is, is basically living like our fathers did a hundred years ago. It's like what this is like, let's take you out of your technocratic luxurious idleness Mm -hmm. for 90 days and see what happens. And this is what our fathers did. They didn't have a bunch of hot showers. They didn't have a bunch of music all the time. They didn't have a bunch of screens. They were doing hard work. This was daily life for them. So I think when you do that, and a lot of these practices have been very, very impactful in my own life. The, um, I mean, the cold showers are, that's, that, I think that's one of the most difficult things. I mean, fasting is one thing, but cold showers, whew. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the music in particular, this is something that's been a huge impact on my life was, mm-hmm. was just cutting out the pop music or popular music or, or whatever, and just going into uh, either traditional folk music or classical trant. I think music i think it's easy to underestimate the influence of music on your spiritual life and i definitely found when i cut out all music except for a few kinds yeah that i could really be a lot more silent in my spiritual life a lot more present a lot more able to transition from daily duties to prayers because something about popular music and we've talked about it kennedy and i on this channel popular music is is made to be addictive it's made to get into your intellect yeah. and stay there forever and so when you're trying to focus your intellect on prayer and being attentive and being recollected in god taking out this music is is very can be very helpful yep. absolutely yeah the music thing's big getting rid of certain music and um you come to realize you know it's kind of like um you know Traditional, there's so much to the, the, the faith is, is um, our faith is so three-dimensional, you know? Uh, so ironically, this program is not, it's not done by traditional Catholics, so-called. Although a lot of, I talk, they, they give you a, um, like the program has gotten so big over the last couple of years. The, the last time I, did, the first time I did it was, it was the first time that they did a um, an app. So there is an app, which in some ways defeats, in some ways you got to be careful because uh, the app does have a chat thing on it. um, So you can talk to everybody in your group. So one of the things that they always remind you is like, this app isn't replacing your social media. So don't be posting on here 40 times a day. The nice thing about it is that it's one app that you can use. So so you're not getting into your texting or Facebook messaging. So like it is good because it takes you away from all the trappings of using your phone for other things. Um, And it has the readings on it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, um, when I talk to, when I talk to, uh, they, the first time I did it, they give you a call after to see how it went. Um, and, um, they said it was, it was getting pretty, like they kept hearing all these guys were doing it that went to the Latin mass <laughs> and they never, and these guys that started it weren't, they weren't traditional. Um, so, uh, it is, it is growing. Um, but it really helps because being a f- faithful Catholic, like all the way through, 
there's there's a three-dimensional element in your life it has to affect every element of your life you can't just go to even if even if you think you're you know trad or whatever you can't just go to mass you know i go to the i go to the sspx or i go to the fssp every sunday i'm a trad it's like no that's great i mean that's a that's better liturgy don't get me wrong and that's that's i'll i'll advocate for that everyone knows that but you have to do everything else in your life as well um you have to actually be living a christian life so this is really great because it um it does uh it does make you do that in ways that you never otherwise would and the support is important um Again, I realized I would never want to do it in a big group again. It's just not me. I don't want to share with <laughs> I don't want to like get vulnerable around <laughs> a bunch of dudes. Like Kennedy, share share your feelings about uh yeah. <laughs> but I will but, yeah. but but obviously, you know, you have a good friend. So when you have a, one or two yeah. good friends, that's what you do anyway. It's like the same guys that you, you know, have a beer with or smoke a pipe with and just enjoy talking about like you you have you always have people that you confide in and that's important because when you're going through and you know what i will say though um married men who do the exodus 90 you hmm, i've seen it where it causes some friction in the marriage um but kind of good friction in the sense that it kind of really shows you where the priorities are in your marriage and the dynamic you have with your wife because it's hard. Like she has to make some sacrifices as well. I mean, um, obviously you can't make it her mortification, but that doesn't mean that because you guys like to eat chips and watch Netflix every night before bed, that you're just going to do that the whole time. Like you do have to cut that out. Otherwise there's no point in doing it. So she does have to make some sacrifices. So you find the odd guy, you talk to him and do it. And it was like, it caused a lot of spats in their marriage throughout the time. But in a way it was kind of like, well, it's kind of good. You got that to the surface because in reality, Exodus 90 is not like that hard. It's not, it's not a, it's not like you're being, uh, forced to to pinch incense to caesar or something you're, you're just doing something that's a mortification so if that's difficult for you guys to go through in a, as a marriage then that's good you found that out now <laughs> because you're going to have harder things as they come so i've seen that happen as well um i haven't seen anyone uh, i've seen everyone i've seen do it i think got through it um but um but some people do quit i guess so Anyway, it's good. Yeah, yeah. And having said that, we we would also recommend that you, like you said, talk to your wife about this. Yes. Make sure that you are doing this at least with her consent in a in a way. You're not. You don't really want to just go against your wife's wishes for no good reason. You know, you want to see how she feels about it, or, or you know, get something, get her on board as much as you can. You know. Um, there's no reason to cause friction where there doesn't need to be. But like Kennedy's saying, sometimes you need to say, hey, I really want to do this. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. This is important to me. And this is what I'm going to do. And that's it. You know, yeah. um, and the other thing is, the like you said, the importance of confiding in another man. And and you know, it doesn't have to be a group share, but yeah. um I, yeah. I don't mean to knock on sharing one's feelings with another man because that's important. You, you got to have a brother where you can, you can kind of share your feelings 
uh, and be a little vulnerable in the sense that if you, you know, if you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, you don't know, you don't know how to express or um, let your feelings guide you properly. You know, if, if you're just losing your mind or some reason or different things like that, you need to have another man who can be your brother yep. um, in a way. So um, that's very important. And so it's good to have that confiding friend. Very important to have that as a man, I think. Yeah. And then you can, then in those, t- those difficult times that will allow you to get more on track so you can be there for your wife. Yeah. Um, so, but this is, this is a really great, uh, a great thing as, as well, uh, definitely to think about the wife. So, um, you're supposed to have, you're supposed to have a priest, um, as well. Uh, it doesn't have to be in your group, but you're supposed to have like a priest advisor or something. Um, we had a priest in our group, which was good. But, um, if you, I, I would recommend, like, let's say you can't get a priest to do it. Um, especially I would, I would, I would be. I bet you most traditional priests won't do it um, because again, well, for one, they've got more going on in some ways, but they're probably already doing a bunch of fasting. It's just just more, if you're, if you're following the traditional liturgical calendar as a priest, there's just more to it. So that's funny thing too, is a lot of uh, the couple priests I did it were actually Novus Ordo priests. And for them, it was like the first time they had ever done something so difficult, which good. I mean, I'm glad they finally did that. Um, but if I were to ever do it again, which I don't think I will, but if I was and I was going to do it in the situation I am now, I imagine that it would be, you know, a few guys from the parish and and we would just say, you know, we, we'd ask Father so-and-so to to we'd meet us every two weeks or something and have confession, spiritual direction. Like we kind of do something like that, but I think it'd be hard to get him into the group um, and I don't think it would be appropriate for, for how they operate. Um, but you do have to have a priest because, you know, certain certain things will come up. You'll have changes in your psychology and stuff as you go through certain things. So having a priest around is important. Right on. Well, really, real quickly, we wanted to talk about the 12 days of Christmas because it's a great time for the yeah. kids. And we were trying to try to think of uh, different ways that we're trying to make the time very special for kids. Because I think that the one of the most important things, in my opinion, for kids before the age of reason is to have these little traditions. Yes. Because I think these traditions are really what transmits the faith to them before they can even understand the faith. You know, all they care about is chocolates on the third day of Christmas or whatever, but that's something that they remember every year and they look forward to. And it's something that sort of ingrains in them the reality of what's really going on in sort of a, a childlike way. Yeah. And um, so we have, We've we've basically tried to we're just building every year to try to figure out how to do all these traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just giving us something very small every day, um, and they get you know extra candies and and chocolate milk and all this fun stuff that they all these extra privileges they don't normally get right during the twelve days of Christmas. And I, I just something came to me recently. I thought because you know grandpa grandma gets him a bunch of toys we he gets some toys for christmas and so we've got a ton of toys and we were thinking that for epiphany we can do give three toys to jesus meaning he i take my both my sons and they have to pick out three toy sets or whatever or a significant sacrifice of toys that they don't use anymore things they don't have anymore they don't want anymore or whatever and then we're going to give them to the poor 
that's good. As as so, and then with the epiphany, obviously the three kings give the three kiffs. Yeah, and that'll be, I think, a good thing for him to obviously think about the poor, um, decrease his possessions, so he's not over just has too many of these gifts things. Yeah, um, and that's that's my idea right now for the twelve days of Christmas, other than just. Singing the 12 Days of Christmas. He loves the 12 Days of Christmas song, which yes. we sang all the time. I think singing, I, I, I try to sing a ton with my sons. Well, that's good. Uh, I think that, uh, speaking of music, I think getting the the good music in their ears is a great thing. So, Kennedy, what's the whole, what are the, what are the whole, whole children doing for a 12 Days of Christmas? Well, we're just trying, especially with lockdown, um, we are just trying to do as many fun things as possible just kind of treating it as i mean that's the funny thing about celebrations is you just have to celebrate you know it's not really that complicated you just have to do things that are awesome <laughs> so um there's just certain things we're doing like every day we'll try to do something fun and try to see somebody that's really fun and um uh so and try to have uh, keep the like my wife is an amazing cook and she's an amazing baker especially so there's just new baked goods. So all the weight that I lost during Advent, I'm going to gain back. Um, but there's just tons of things. So it's kind of like, Mom, why are we making peanut butter balls or whatever today? Because it's the third day of Christmas. Okay. And it's just little things like that. And actually, maybe I can share, maybe if I can share my screen here. Um, I don't know if I can. Uh, I was going to try and share my chrome tab this one here can you see that oh i think i think i have to enable it let's see there we okay. go do you see this calendar thing i have here yes yeah okay so this is something my wife downloaded you had to buy it but this is actually all of the days of christmas so i'll just go down quickly here so you can see the numbers right like three four five and it has all of the it's actually for this year so it has the feasts, okay? And you can see St. Thomas Beckett, Holy Innocence, and so forth. Beautiful images, okay? Um, St. Stephen. This is not in perfect order because what it is, this is actually uh, four or five pages that you print off and make a poster. And it has. you can see it has all the different things here. So what we have is we have this beautiful, we put this all into a calendar or into a poster. See, so it continues here all the way to the Epiphany with the 12 days of Christmas and um, beautiful pictures you see there with the wise men. And um, so we downloaded this and it also has the legend for the 12 days of Christmas. So you get, because uh, I actually have a video up on the Fatima center. Maybe we can link that for the, it's, I call it the secret meaning of the 12 days of Christmas. And I go through the history of persecuted England, Eng, uh, English Catholics and why they have the song. So this beautiful calendar is um, I'll, unshare now i don't need to share. i guess i can keep it up so this beautiful calendar is um what what our kids do every morning now is they're coming downstairs they'll be downstairs in a couple hours and they kind of just like run over to the poster and they're like what day are we on now dad so they follow it because when you actually print it out and you put the, the pages on the poster it goes in order like sort of you know from side to side and there's oh, we're right here and then they see a picture of it and it's just beautiful i mean it literally is beautiful to look at and um, so they're following through the 12 days of Christmas that way. And then they'll say, what are we going to do today? 
and then we just have whatever we're going to do today. So it's uh, just a way of uh, the focal point of their mind is that it's the 12 days of Christmas and they have pictures to show them. And then also, you know, I mean, with St. Thomas Beckett, right? Like, look at this picture of St. Thomas Beckett. I mean, he has a sword in his head. <laughs> so they're kind of like dad what's with the sword in the head and I, okay well you know he was they, they get it a little bit so i was like he was killed because the government told him that he couldn't go to it didn't want him to go to church and they said it was kind of kind of like now and i said yeah it's kind of like now um so anyway so that's that's what we have i i don't know where she got it but i guess maybe it's too late now because for people it's already started but Things like that. There's a lot of stuff. My wife finds all these things on Pinterest or uh, Etsy and places like that. You know, she's in these groups with all these uh, Catholic women on social media or whatever. And there's a lot of really great stuff that she found. And that was one of them. So we've been going through that every day. And it's been uh, it's definitely a tradition we're going to keep every year now. That's excellent. I just found your video on the 12th day of Christmas, which I just sent to the chat. Um, where is the, where can people find this awesome poster? Oh man. Um, you know? you got the, I don't know off the top of my head. I think she, like she found it, uh, in one of those shops. So she actually had to buy it. Like it was like 10 bucks or something oh, okay. and buy the download. Cause some, some wonderful woman made it. Um, cause it's for this year specifically because you can see how the feast days work on it. Um, cause Sunday is not going to fall on the same day every yeah every year so that one actually has that so right yeah awesome well let me know so did, did, was it in person that she bought it then no it downloaded it not like it was it okay was so you, for the download and she printed it okay okay so so ask her where she found it and then i'll put that on the on the show notes okay awesome cool all right well we're gonna wrap up so, so thanks for watching remember to like subscribe you can also buy our books at Olivia Victory Press. Yeah. Link below. I just released um, the Introduction to Holy Bible on audiobook, so you can buy that on audiobook as well. So you just follow the link to Our Lady of Victory Press. You can choose any of the books. There's two books by Kennedy, one book by me on there, and you can buy the audiobook as well on there. So, uh, so let's offer up our Father again for the children. Twelve days of Christmas yeah. that they can continue to know the joy of Christ and Christmas uh, and this, in this insane time that we're living in. <laughs> and, and I pray for all the parents that uh, they can all provide something for their kids in this time to offer up for the sake of the children. So let me get my icon here and we'll offer up an our father. Uh, let me see. Oh, it's not. Hold on just a second. Got to move this over to my other screen. All right. Nomine Patri, Sipidi, Spiritu Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster, Quies in Jedi, Sancti Vegeta Nomen Tuum, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, Fio Voluntas Tua, Sicut in Cedo, Et in Tara. Panem Nostrum, Cotidianum, Dando Visodie, Demiti Nobis Debita Nostra, Sicut at Nosti Mitimus Debitoribus Nostri, Set Nenos and Ducas and Tentationum, Said Libera Nosa Malo, Amen. In nomine Patris, Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen.